Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Best Speech Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Pacquiao. And this week, we have my friend. We're friends, right? Yeah. Uh, you have to say that now. That would be weird to be on the air and say, no, my friend, <laughs> Lele Amati. Uh, Lele is an educator. She's a speaker and a conference host. She describes herself as having a heart for serving clients and fellow creatives through her coaching work. She has her own podcast called, so here's the thing, which by the way, one of my favorite transitions in a speech. Uh, she's also the founder of the Creative Educator Academy, and she believes in serving the creative industry with heartfelt encouragement, honest advice, and the shared pursuit of the ever-elusive balance. Lele is all about building a life, doing what you love. Lele, did I leave anything out? No, that was great. That's me. <laughs> uh, Lele, every guest this season gets to participate and make a $50 donation to the charity of their choice. What, what should that be today? Um, I would love to donate to Operation Kindness. It's a local no-kill shelter here in right outside of Dallas, Texas. Very cool. Operation Kindness. Done. $50 to them. And Thank listeners, Thank you. in case it's not clear, you're allowed to donate. So, so Lele, your background is super interesting to me. I know that you were a high school teacher. What what grade, what subject? So I taught ninth and 10th grade. And for the majority of my teaching career, I taught dance. Um, I did at one time teach English, 10th grade English, which was interesting. But I always coached the dance team as well. And so, yeah, the majority of the time it was all girls, except for he's really an <laughs> exception of like three to five boys a year. So a lot of high school girls, ninth and 10th grade. It was interesting. Super interesting. I did not know that dance. Interesting. Okay. So you did that for a long time and then you, you transitioned out of teaching, but I did want to talk to you about teaching and how that has set you up when you're speaking on a stage or even if it's not on a stage, like on Instagram live or anything like that. I, uh, you know, it's funny. I did a workshop for a company a few months back and I always do this lesson. And so we're doing, we're, we're talking about delivery. And one of my things is the, the really advanced deliver, the really advanced speaker is able to adjust to their audience. So I always do this activity that nobody's ever good at, where I have people in the audience intentionally be, be distracting, and your assignment as the speaker is to get rid of the distraction without like kicking the person out of class, right? So move in the direction of the person or do something to win them back. Nobody's ever good at that, except this time. I had two of the speakers in the audience had taught middle school, and they just aced it. Like it was... It was no problem yeah. for them. Uh, I'm curious, when you are speaking, do you find it, what was harder? Like, is it harder to be on a stage or teaching ninth and 10th graders, honestly? I mean, honestly, it's, it's teaching. I think you can get over any kind of stage fright or any kind of, like, just speaking engagement fear once you've stood in front of hundreds of high school students, in particular high school girls, and survived that, like you're set, you're golden. Yeah, were you doing that when that. you're like in your 20s too? Yeah, I started teaching when I was, I think, 22 <clears throat> or 23 maybe. Um, I did it, like I took the roundabout way. I took like a break. I worked corporate for a while and then I went into the classroom and I was, I was pretty young. I think it was 22 when I started, yeah. Oh my gosh. So you got these 14, 15 year old girls who are totally judging you and your outfits and you yeah. were 
And I taught high school English at that time. So what was worse was the high school bo- teaching high school boys as a 22-year-old woman <laughs> is not easy. It's not easy to like establish that you are the leader, you are the person in charge. Yeah. So let's talk about that. How did you ever establish that? (laughs) I mean, you just kind of have to be like the firm teacher. Like you have to be, I always say it's really funny because my, my husband now, now husband, then like boyfriend, fiance, I don't remember where we were at at that time, but he'd like come by to events and stuff. And he was like, Whoa, who was that? Because you really have to put on this kind of persona. It's like Beyonce and Sasha Fierce, but like Laylee and teacher Laylee. Like you have to be, uh, what was like Laylee and Miss Amati. Like Miss Amati, you don't mess with her. She's tough. She's like firm. She's confident. And then there's Laylee who's like sunshine and rainbows. I'm like, everything is great. Let's have a group hug. Like that was not me in the classroom. I was like a really harsh, I was a coach too. So I was like a very aggressive coach. (laughs) Well, but that's the thing. I was, I was told teachers that you can, it's, it's a lot easier to start off harsh and go the other direction, but you can't, you yeah. can't start off being their friend and then one day snap because they, they don't, they don't take it seriously. So yeah, now you're in speaker world. How do you feel like your teaching background has helped you when you are getting on stage? I mean, I think it's, it's funny because you mentioned like the first thing I always say is it taught me flexibility. Mm. I feel like being flexible with a crowd is so hard for most speakers, like kind of pivoting and needing to change direction when you've written and rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed this talk. And like, maybe the audience isn't clicking with it. They're not vibing with it. And it's like, do you just push through and just keep going over their heads and, and, or do you change directions? And so I think that's what really helped me from teaching was like, if a lesson isn't landing, I'd have to right then and there change direction and try to like reach my audience. And also it helps kind of being able to acknowledge like, is somebody actually not paying attention? Are they not understanding or are they just on their phones because we live in a society that's full of phones? You know what I mean? Like being able to differentiate, differentiate that from the stage I think is something that I'm really thankful I had that experience doing in a classroom. Oh, that's a really good one. Cause I feel like that crushes everyone's confidence. So lately you're on stage, you're presenting to hundred, 500 people, however many people it is. And you see uh, on your right, you see a bunch of people on their phone, what's going through your head. And then how do you, how do you snap out of it? Yeah, for me, like it's it's really like a like a split second of acknowledging like like I kind of can tell usually when people are on their phones if they're taking notes because some people take notes on their phone now some yeah. people are looking up something that you've referenced like if you make reference they don't understand they don't want to wait till the end of the speech to like Google it and you can't right. do that now on your phone so I say now I'm, that makes me sound so old but you know what I mean like <laughs> back in the day that wasn't a thing so. I kind of take a second to just like glance and I'm looking if they still look engaged and they're looking up and down, up and down, that tells me like they're still with me. If they're just like leaned back and like I look at body language and again, this, this sounds like it takes a lot of time, but it doesn't. If they're slumped over in their chair and they're just like head down, neck all the way broken down, like never looking back up, that's a me problem. If they're like up, down, up, down, or like side to side, like if there's movement and activity and I feel like kinesthetically they're vibing with me, like I'm okay if they're on their phones. I don't really care. Yep. That's great. First of all, good use of kinesthetically. Secondly, good differentiator. (laughs) I also think, I also think someone who 
wants you to know that they're paying attention will glance up at you, right? That, that's, that's a big yeah. thing too. So tell us how you adjust them. I mean, let's say that you're looking out, you're like, shoot, I lost these people. You're doing creative education of some sort. And it's like, oh man, everybody's on their phone right now. What, it, what, are, some, what are some ways either you've done or maybe you're keeping in your back pocket that you, okay. can, you can pull out at a moment's notice? That's a tough one because I think it's so specific to everyone and I don't want anyone to just go ahead and try this, but I am like a self-deprecating humor kind of person. Mm -hmm. So I usually like make a dig at myself, which sounds awful, but like it really does help get the audience's attention. And so I'll be like, oh, I don't know. Like it's hard because I really never plan this out. It just kind of is who I am. And so I'll like, make a funny face or make like a little comment or like make a snide comment. That's like, you know, I'm losing, am I losing you? You know, like things like that, yeah. but it's, it's something that I can't ever script and that like doesn't go well if I try to plan it ahead of time. Mm -hmm. It's more so like, I just try to be really comfortable on the stage and treat it like a conversation and never like I'm talking at somebody anyway. And so it does come really naturally to me to do that. Um, which I think a side of uh, like a side of that is just like, getting confident and comfortable on a stage, which again, for me came from the judgment of the, the teenage children who are so relentless. Just, like they're so mean. <laughs> they're so mean. My answer next time. How do I get comfortable on stage? Well, go teach 14 year old girls mm -hmm. for several they're years. They're awful. Oh my gosh. They're so sweet. They're really great. I love, I love that age group. I'm not just trying to like talk bad about them, but they are so mean. There's no filter. Yeah. There's no like, there's no grace. There's no leniency. Whereas like adults, it's like, they're fine. They know I'm okay. Like, yeah. Okay. Well, no, it's like you, you're able to take a step back and, and say, well, this is part of the process of growing up. But in the moment, I mean, it's hard to be the one that has to endure that. Oh yeah. Uh, I, I do oh, tell yeah. people one of the pep talks I try to give people, I say, there's no one in the audience that is rooting against you asterisks unless you're teaching teenagers <laughs> that's my yeah that's my thing they are rooting uh, against you actively <laughs> <laughs> okay so with going from teaching to being on a stage was there was there anything that was particularly difficult about that yeah i mean there's a lot that's difficult about it i think one teaching is so much more interactive um, yeah as interactive as you can make teach, uh, speaking, it's never going to be the same um, kind of dynamic of being able to, I mean, you can stop and ask for questions and things like that on a stage, or you can have people get up and move on a stage, but it's just a different, it's a different dynamic. Um, so that was a little bit difficult, but I also grew up performing with dance. And so being on a stage has always been something that feels second nature to me to an extent. I mean, I still get nervous. I'm not trying to sound like I'm like, Oh, yeah. I, the stage, no big deal. No, it's still scary, but like it, it is what it is. The biggest thing I think hurt me as a like professional speaker and as an entrepreneur is getting paid for my work versus mm. teaching kind of like, you know, it's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful career to have. It is a wonderful thing to be able to say you're a teacher, but you really get like the bad, the ugly side of teaching is that they like shove it down your throat that like you should be giving, giving, giving and never ask for anything and like work overtime and you can, you're going to get paid scraps, but you're not going to care because you're a teacher. And so when Use I started your own money to make photocopies, people, yeah, 
No, literally, I would like use my own money to do everything. I bought supplies and I would buy like extra dance shoes when they were on sale for the kids that couldn't afford dance shoes and like buy extra everything. And then you're getting paid more than you were as a teacher for doing something that you're having fun with. And you just feel that. So that for me was really hard was mm. taking people's money to do something that I loved. Mm-hmm. And for me, getting on a stage, and I still struggle with this from time to time. So the teaching part is what's natural to me. I think sometimes mm-hmm. I forget to have a point of view unless I, I am going back and checking off that box. Uh, I think it's, yeah. it's very easy for me to give a speech that it's how to blank. And if I'm not careful, I don't tell them, here's why you should have a point of view or here's what all of that will do for you. I think in life, you have more points of view than I do. But with, was that something, is that something that's ever difficult for you? I don't know. I feel like... I feel like that might be just something that in, in general, I enjoy doing, like I enjoy thinking mm-hmm. through. This is a mic problem. Multiple yeah. points of view. No, it's not. It's not. I think it's common. I think that's just like one thing that I really, I mean, I have like my, my best friend who could not be from a further different, like a more different walk of life than me always says like that my strength is that I'm able to kind of put myself into other people's shoes and see their different point of views. And I think it's because of the way that I, was raised and I wasn't born in America and then I came to it's just like a lot going on but like mm-hmm. that is one thing that I enjoy doing and I think it is again I think that's reinforced as well when you're teaching and having to meet and get to know 150 kids a year from from all the different places yeah totally okay so let's talk about let's talk about main stage lately you're putting mm-hmm. a talk together I know we're both we're both doing something at the spark conference this year and then you're presenting at your own conference in January, when you were when you are writing a talk or you're putting together a breakout room session, what what is your starting point for writing? I mean, is there is there a brainstorm? Is it Laylee already has it figured out? What's your writing process look like? Oh my gosh, I never have it all. I never have it figured out. <laughs> I, feel <laughs> my, I feel like my writing process is just always such a hot mess. And and for me. Most of the time when I speak on things, I typically, it's like something that's tangible or like educational and the teaching part, like the lesson planning part comes so easily to me because it's like facts and figures and, and, you know, things that are rooted in like research and, and that's all easy. The hard part for me is incorporating the storytelling and that's Mm. where the writing becomes like a jumbled mess of brainstorming and quite frankly, a lot of voice memos. I like talk to myself in the car. I talk to anybody who's around me who will listen to me and I talk it out. I'm like, Hey, does this sound like something that would be interesting? And, um, and I'll record that or I'll like, like I said, I'll be in my car and I'll record that or, you know, I'm just like an outward processor. So my writing process looks a lot like me talking and then writing. Oh, I love it. I love it. So you do like voice memo on your phone. Just talking to yourself. Yeah. Oh, I think this would be another good thing. Da, 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 da. Yeah. Or I'll literally like tell the story. Like I will, I will do the entire thing. Like as though I'm on stage. It's really weird. No, it's wonderful is what it is. <laughs> because then by the time you get onto the stage, you've done it already. It's not the first time that you've ever done yeah, it. Yeah, in we're, different ways. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what a lot of people do is all of their energy is spent writing the thing and they get on stage and that's the first time they've ever said it out loud. So it's like, oh well, it's played yeah. well on paper. <laughs> like, why isn't anybody listening? <laughs> yeah. 
totally. I'm, I'm figuring it out as I go. Why isn't this landing better? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So a lot of voice memo. What does it look like for that to start yeah. coming together? How do you know when it's like, oh, I, I've got it. This, this is good now. Yeah. It's really funny. Like, like I said, I'm such an outward processor. So when I'm telling the story or I'm talking through a, like a talking point, if I get excited, I'm, I, it's very easy to tell. I get loud and I get kind of obnoxious and I get very like hyped. And that's when I'm like, okay, this is a keeper. Like this is good. And I, again, I think because my friends and family are kind of used to me talking to them about it, they can t- like, they respond to my excitement and then it's like, we're both excited. And that's when I'm like, okay, that's a key factor. And then I'll write it into like whatever document I'm working through. That's just like my brainstorm document and I'll highlight it and I'll try to see like where it fits in. And then it's kind of like piecing together a puzzle of like, does this anecdote fit this like topic that I'm speaking on? And does it fit like the tangible tip that I'm trying to give away? Or is it just like a funny story in which case take it or leave it? So a lot of refining, like a lot of like rough draft one, rough draft two, English teacher style, <laughs> but it's, it's fun. It's, it, it's a lot. And I think I take it probably a little bit too seriously sometimes, but I have fun with it. See, I don't think you do take it too seriously. How, what is, how could you take it too seriously? I'm just thinking you're on a stage. People are evaluating. Do I want to work with that person? Does she sound fun? Does she sound supportive? I mean, those are all things that come through when you're presenting. So you're right. Yeah. You're you don't right. take it I think too I seriously. see a lot of, I hear a lot of people, I think, especially in the creative industry, and this is why, like, I started my academy and I'm starting my conferences because I, I like, really hate – and I try to be very understanding because, again, like, different points of view, but I hear it all the time, like, oh, I just do better if I don't practice. Like, I just do mm-hmm. better – I hear it all the time. Like, oh, if I practice too much, I'm going to sound stale. So I'm just going to go wing it. And I'm like, don't do that. <laughs> and then I think maybe I'm being too serious about it. I don't know. No, Lele. Oh my gosh. Let's have a chat. <laughs> First of all, outstanding tip for everybody. The things that you get excited about, especially when you deliver it to someone else and they get excited, that's gold. Then you're walking on stage. Yeah. And even in your head, if you're one of those people that's really nervous, you never talked to 14 year old girls. So you don't know what judgment looks like. You get out on stage and you hit this part and you're, you're going through your talk and you're like, hey, okay, slide four is the part that I remember my uncle Daryl really was into. Like you start getting excited for that part. So that that is a golden tip right there. Having gone through all of that, the thing about people saying I'm better when I don't rehearse, can I translate that for you? What that yeah. means is... What most people do is they put together a script and they revert back to being in grade school or middle school where there was some Mrs. Amati in the back of the classroom with her red pen who's going to remove points if it was slightly different from the outline submitted. That, mm-hmm. That's what most people have responded to there. So in their head, yeah. winging it and not having a script from which points can be deducted feels better to them than it does having the script with the red pen, but in real life, there is no red pen. Like there's no, nobody's deducting points. In fact, nobody knows what you're supposed to say. Uh, 99 times out of hundred, that person winging it is harder to follow than someone who has put the work into figuring out how to move from point one to point two to point three. Yeah. If the problem is sounding stale because you've rehearsed a lot, the actual problem there is that you need to find the place in your brain 
that was originally entertained or interested by the point that you bring up. That's that's yeah. my soapbox for you. I love that. I totally agree. Because if you're not excited, the audience won't be. So in, in a way, mm-hmm. that mindset, you know, the feeling I'll be stale, that's good to respond to. But the better the better solution is to not be stale, frankly. Yeah. So, but that, but, but that's something that's interesting though, right? Because you process things out loud, you get excited when you first do it, and then you're not giving the speech for like three months. So lately for you, I know part of this is just you're an excitable person, but for you, how do you find that place that's excited when you're delivering material that you've done at your own academy, that you've done on a podcast before, you've done this a million times, now you're on stage, people have never heard the point you're about to make. Secretly, you're like, how do you not know this already? I, what do you do to deliver that with energy? I think honestly, for me, everything I speak on, I'm pretty passionate about. And so I think just having like something that you actually care about and that actually fires you up inside, once you start talking about it and you see little light bulbs going off in the audience, that will hype you up in itself. At mm. least like I like to feed off that energy. And so I do try to give energy in the beginning and what I get back like fuels even more. And so I think I see that too. Like I've seen people in the past who might not have been able to pivot quite as well and who take the stage, they start really energetic, but then the crowd is not feeding that energy back to them. And you can really see them start to slope downhill and like lose their energy. And you're like, okay, so that is when you have to really put a face on and, and turn on that alter ego of like the Beyonce, Sasha Fierce, kind of concept of like, no, I'm going to be passionate about this and you're going to like it. Like you have to push through and just put that, put that energy out there as much as you can. But being Uh, passionate about the topic really helps. But that's, that's so smart though, right? Because what happened, you're right. What happens to a lot of people, I know this happened to me before I start off with all this energy, the audience just isn't quite there. And to me, somehow it feels better and more accommodating to just meet their low energy <laughs> than what yeah. I should do, which is care about the content that I just spent yeah. three months but, writing. Man, that's hard because if you're, I'm like, I consider myself a highly empathetic person. And so I do feed off of people's like vibes and feelings. And I feel mm-hmm. like if they are low energy, it's so hard not to match that low. It is so hard to be like, no, I'm going to step it up anyway. Because in real life, that's what I would do. I would like calm down. Yeah. But on stage, you have to like amp it up. That's super interesting. Okay. Yeah. So this is making me think, you know, sometimes I would present to a group of, let's say, engineers who some engineers have a lot of energy, but quite often, if five is a baseline, they're at a three. And Mike likes to operate at a seven or an eight. So now if I'm I'm at an eight and they're at a three, this feels really strange. Do you think I should tune down to a five? Like, should a speaker do that? I don't think it, so. I think, I think if you normally operate at a seven, you be your seven, and like that's maybe what they enjoy, and li- maybe they can't act that way. But like, it's probably like fulfilling a need in them that they might not have known that they had, or maybe it's keeping them engaged in a way that they might not have thought would have been engaging for them. Um, it's like it's like when you're in college. I don't know when you were when you were in college. Did you guys have like ambassadors or like? like orientation mentors oh, yeah, that like yeah. got you hyped as freshmen and all yeah. the freshmen hate them, but <laughs> because they're crazy hyper, guess who was like a lead mentor? That was me. <laughs> yeah. And it was, 
And guess who hated them as a freshman? Again, that was me because I didn't, I was like, oh, they're trying way too hard. They are at a 10 and I am at a five trying to be cool. But it fulfilled that need of like, they are getting me excited about starting school. They are Mm -hmm. getting me excited about activities. Like they are fulfilling a need that I did not acknowledge before. And then cut to the next year, I was like, I'm going to fulfill that need for that snotty nosed freshman who thinks that they're better than me. And, you know, like, because that was me. And I could, how dare you? How dare you think you're a five? Come up to my level. Like, come up here. I'm not coming down for you. Come up. That makes a lot of sense. I think I think staying at that eight or nine or ten the whole time with a group that's at a three, maybe a good happy medium. Maybe just dip down from time to time. Yeah, take your breaks. <laughs> but but I do think a lot of people feel like okay, well I'm at a seven, they're at a three. I'm going to go down to three, and now everybody's now everybody's low energy. Yeah. And I do think there's like an ebb and flow. Like you don't want to be like really obnoxious for the full, however many minutes you have there, there should be up and down. Yeah. That's really smart. Okay. So that's, that's a great tip on energy. I'm curious what the rest of rehearsal looks like for you. I'm imagining it's a lot of voice memos. Uh, Yeah, but maybe not. What (laughs) What does rehearsal look like for you? No, it is. And that's actually a new thing. That was, um, my husband actually suggested doing that because he was like, you do so much better like when you hear it and you hear it back, even though I, nobody likes to listen to themselves back. I think everybody hates listening to themselves. At least, I mean, yeah. I'm, I don't, I don't want to throw out there like unless you're narcissistic and then you'd be like, I love listening to myself. <laughs> well, you podcast is. But no, yeah. in ge- like I never listen to my own podcast. So it's, 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 it is a hurdle to overcome. But yeah, so I'll, I'll record myself at least on audio. Um, I do have this problem where I am a I am a massive procrastinator and it would just be a flat out lie if I was like, I'm rehearsing on this beautiful schedule, you know, week in and week out. I do try to kind of uh, tap into my like dance training of like, do it until you get it right. Like rehearse it over and over again until you're not taking these massive like pauses and waiting for a cue. Like no one's going to cue you. So you've got to like know it. Um And so I'll do it over and over again until I've got it down. I'll stand up and I'll get my slides. And I actually act it out like in my home, in my empty home. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I'll grab a friend if I can and be like, hey, can you listen to this? Um, And then I I do. I record it and I listen back. So the rehearsal process is very much like if anybody's ever done any kind of theater or dance or anything performance-based, it's kind of the same as that for me. So I'm curious, when you grab a friend and rehearse in front of them, is that for the purpose of just that there's someone else in the room listening? Or do you, do you solicit feedback from them? Both. Um, and it depends on the friend, actually. So if wow. it's somebody who kind of is in the same arena as the audience that I'm serving, I'll be like, hey, like, is this landing? Like, what, you know, is there anything that you wish I touched on that I didn't? If it's just um, like my husband who does not frequent the same spaces that I do, I mean, he does, he has a lot of feedback on certain topics I do, like time management or, you know, productivity. He can speak to that. But if it's something more niched, he's just like, yeah, that was good. Like you kind of lost your energy here, but, you know, I'm sure when you perform it, you'll be fine. And so I feel like whether you ask for feedback or not, people are going to give it. But for me, it's mostly like 
seeing how are they responding to me mm. giving this and like are they laughing at like the things in my slides that I've put in my slides if I have them and if they're not laughing why <laughs> so that kind of stuff is really helpful having somebody else kind of look through it oh that's so good yeah that's so so good and something else that you said there that I think is is interesting that people should take note of is uh, the things that you think that the audience will either laugh at or or maybe nod their head along, something that you're, you're picturing them having a reaction, did that line up with what was actually true? It's great to know that right. before you're on the main stage. Yeah, I've done that before. I had like a whole three slides with like the office scenes, like little like gifs, gifs. I never know how to say it. Yeah. And how do you say that? I don't uh, know. Nobody knows how to, yes. Um, Nobody knows. So I say both. But, you know, it was like, I was like, oh, it's the office. Everyone's going to think it's funny. And my husband, who's like the biggest office fan, did not laugh. My best <laughs> friend, who also is an office fan, did not laugh. And I was like, delete, delete, delete. Like, clearly this is not landing. Maybe it's too obscure. Like, I don't know. But to oh, me, it was man. hilarious. I want to know which, which clips you're using now. Uh, okay. I want to I want to flip something else around. So you you are a conference organizer yourself. You look at people's applications and you apply to speak at conferences. So with all of these things, I know a lot of listeners want to speak on more stages. It's awesome when you get invited. A lot of times you get invited to apply, which is apply. <laughs> not quite as good, but not bad. What what are some tips you have? I find applying super annoying. I I always my default is to not put much work into the title or the description in my head. I'm like, how do you not know this already? That's obviously bad advice. What are some things you would recommend people do when they are filling out applications? Yeah, the first thing is the opposite of what you just said. Yeah. Um, be super specific with like the takeaways. And I like now as a conference host and even as a podcast host, I would get people applying who would be like, I can speak on anything. You just pick the topic. You know mm. me, especially if I know them. And I'm like, dude, don't put that on me. That's so yeah. much extra work. Like, I, I don't have time to do extra work. I'm already working so much on this thing. So, you know, being specific and then relating it to the audience that you're applying to speak to. Um, I think that's something that a lot of people miss the opportunity um, to kind of sell themselves and to make it an easier yes is by being like, hey, I know that your audience needs X, Y, and Z, and they're going to walk away with X, Y, and Z, and here's how. Um, so I think being specific, tailoring it to the audience. And then one huge tip I have is to just make sure you're doing your due diligence and treating it professionally and finding like the right appropriate forum to apply or to reach out to the right person. Um, I feel like, especially if if people are listening to this who are in the creative industry or in, you know, the online like digital marketing space, everyone's like, sell yourself in the DMs, like get on it. No, do not do that. Like maybe there are some hosts out there who are chill with that. I am not. I'm like, why are you DMing me? I'm not going to remember who you are in five minutes. Like don't tackle me like in person and be like, hey, I really want to come to your thing and like speak. Find the application, find the correct person to email if there's not an application and keep it formal. I know that it's weird sometimes to do that, but like professionalism is not ever like looked down upon, I think, at least, uh, at least in my experience. So, well, and something else with that, my friend, Justin Moore pointed this out to me. Justin does a lot of coaching on sponsorships and what people think they should do is DM the company. So like DM Coca-Cola. 
<laughs> okay. The person receiving the DM is not necessarily who you're applying to. So no, it's like a 25 year old, like chilling in her like yeah. parents' house yeah. who's running their social media. This is not helpful. Yeah. But then there is the next step of, okay, but how do I, how do I actually make it to the audience? How do I find out who's in the audience or what makes them tick? What, but what suggestions do you have on actually making it to the audience? Yeah. I mean, I think like there's a lot that you can find out based on just kind of looking at the event, the event host and who they're targeting. I mean, some of it is going to be doing your own research. Like for example, um, actually show it is a great example. Like United, I was really all of my applications for United were all centered around things that could be for a general entrepreneur, but mostly were like as a photographer dot, 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 mm. because United was a photography conference. When I applied to speak at Spark, I knew that they were no longer catering to just photographers. So I chose a, a topic that every entrepreneur might need at some point. And I made it, I, I changed my wording to kind of reach that. And obviously I just found that out based off of like surfing their website and like don't say that anymore. Why I'm did surfing. I just say surfing? I was, I was, so, I was so excited oh to go gosh. surfing. <laughs> I'm, I'm dying. I'm mortified. That's surfing. so bad, but whatever. Oh my gosh. I'm literally <laughs> ancient. This is not okay with me. By browsing through their website, scrolling through. Well, scrolling, and so yeah. as I'm scrolling through their website and I'm scrolling through their social media and I'm looking at who the host is and who their clients are, I'm forming that opinion of like, what do I think their attendees are going to be? That's really good. Who the host is, who their clients are. That's a really good starting point. Outside of that, I mean, is it safe to assume that if I tie it back to making money, like if I'm just guessing, is that, is that a good idea? Are there other subjects or other benefits that seem like safe starting points? Yeah, I feel like there are there's like a handful of things that everybody needs in life. Um, I just kind of always go back to like the needs of humans. Mm. So time, you know, freedom, money, all, all the things that like somebody in life craves and somebody in life needs. And so actually most of my topics for the first like four years of speaking were all about balance and you know, time management and burnout and how I've burnt out of careers and how I don't want you to. And this is how we can prevent that. And so it actually wasn't about money at all. And now it's kind of about freedom and money because I teach how to like basically monetize your knowledge. So that in itself is it's, it's meeting the need of, of money and of freedom because you get more time back if you're able to monetize on your knowledge to many people instead of one. So like, just finding that sweet spot of like, what does somebody need? How can I make sure that they're walking away closer to that, to that goal, to that need? And then how can I communicate that to a conference host? That's great. All right. And then one other question is the title. I've been a lot of questions about how do I come up with a title? And I think my hunch is that there's some confusion between what makes a good movie title, book title to speech title. What, what thoughts do you have around coming up with a title? Oh my gosh. Okay. Full transparency. I hate titles. I hate writing them. <laughs> I hate them so much. They're so hard for me. Um, but what I found is just 
I, I know that some, I mean, I don't know. I feel like this is definitely just an opinion thing. Some people really like kitschy, catchy titles and I, I don't. So like, you know, the title of my burnout talk was beat the burnout. And then subtitle was changes you can make to keep your fire, which like, Mm-hmm. it's appealing right there's like words that are emotive like fire and you know there's alliteration beat the burnout like there's that went into it but then I've also had talks that have just been a lot more descriptive and in their title and I just think if you can keep it short keep it short make it descriptive make make it really clear what the audience is going to get out of it yeah um, especially I mean at the point where you're thinking through like keynotes versus breakouts with a breakout you might be competing with other people for uh, audience members. And so what's going to draw that audience in, but you don't want to mislead them. So you want to make sure they know what they're getting out of it. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is think through what the benefit is to the audience and make sure that's obvious. Cause I think what's confusing yeah. is there are all these book titles that are like cool and a little bit interesting. Yeah. But as a conference, te- as a speech at a conference, you would just be like, what is that? I'm scrolling, I'm scrolling and I'm, I'm surfing the web and I'll find something else. Yeah. That's what you have to so keep in mind. Surfing the web. I can't. Uh, I literally can't. Yeah. I went to facebook.com oh, and geez. what I found when I was surfing oh the gosh. web was the Facebook the from Facebook. back in my day when it wasn't even, if it was the facebook.com. <laughs> That's how old I am. Oh, so oh. good. So good. Uh, Layla, you're great. We, we end every episode with two things. So first is a speaking tip and then it's a story. So the reminder here, Speaking tip can be whatever you want it to be, but there's no pressure for it to be something that you would find in a college textbook about making eye contact or your hand gesture should be big when you're talking about something big. What is a, what is a Lely Amadi speaking tip? Okay. So my speaking tip comes from my dance background as a dance coach. I would make my girls do this every time before they would take the stage. And that is doing something active. Um, obviously you don't want to get like super sweaty and gross and it depends on what you're wearing. But (laughs) if I'm wearing something that's conducive to it, I'll hold a plank for like 10 seconds. Like I will literally hold a plank on the floor of a green room. Yeah. Um, If you feel like doing some crunches, do 10 crunches, jump up and down, do some like, you know, jumping jacks, whatever you need to do. But like you're shaking out excess energy so that when you take the stage, in my experience at least, you're not breathless, like, you know, that feeling of like jittery, extra excess energy that makes you kind of like, (sighs) like breathe really loud and, and you're trying to talk your words through your excess breath. And so, um, just shaking it out, like doing something to release that that extra energy and keeping just like the good energy. Oh, I love and it also, so much. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I guess I'm going to do two tips because they're kind of related, but the other one is like, while I'm doing this, I'm smiling, which sounds so creepy and so weird, but I have a big ass fake smile on my face and it's like, I, I'm not happy. Like I don't want, I'm, I'm clearly not happy right now, but science has shown like research has shown that you can trick your brain into thinking that you're happy and it gives you extra energy as well. So fake smile while you're doing your plank or whatever. Doing crunches with a giant smile on your yeah. face. Uh-huh. I love it. I love it. Find your exercise. Yeah. Do it with yeah. a smile on your face. Depending but what please you're take a few breaths when you're done. Like deep belly breaths when you're done. Because you don't want to go out there sweating and being hot. <laughs> yeah. And that's not, to be clear, that's not, that's not do a plank for 10 seconds. 
stand back up, walk straight on stage, right? Yes. Yeah, exactly. It's like while you're waiting, you've got, you know, you're like in the green room or backstage or wherever and you're getting mic'd up and you're, you're just sitting there just being nervous. It's like when you have dead time. Yeah. Maybe like 10 minutes before something like that. That makes a lot of sense. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. To make a comparison, football players often talk about having a lot of nerves and, and they feel better after they get hit for the first time. It, and that's not the same thing, but it, it's that same idea of getting the energy out. So that makes a lot of sense to yeah. me. And I, I've talked before on this podcast about there, there is a lot of overlap actually between competition and being on stage. I mean, there aren't, yeah. once you're out of college, once you stop doing competitive events, like there are not that many opportunities where you get a lot of applause. So part of the reason why there's all this anxiety around speaking is because something's at stake. I love your tip getting some of those jitters out ahead of time so that you can be your real Lele or Mike or insert name of listener here once you go out on stage. That's awesome. You All right, Lele. <laughs> it's time. Story time. Oh, I, know story. That's not, yeah, story. That's, I know that's not your favorite thing. <laughs> I actually thought of, I thought of, a, a, I had a story in mind, but I'm going to tell a different one because as mm. we were talking about like kind of finding your confidence and how important confidence is and then getting applause and things like that. So I'm not a parent. I do hold not on. have Are children. You, hold on. Are you winging it right now after you went through the whole thing of like, I'm so much better when I'm winging when. Oh, okay. All right. All right. I had to because it's just too perfect. It's too perfect. It's too perfect. And it's it's shorter than my original story, which (laughs) makes me happy. Um, So I'm not a parent. I do not have children, but I'm very invested in my niece and nephew. And my niece, who's four, when she was about two and a half, she used to do this thing where she would like perform for us or I mean, not even like perform. She would just be twirling around. We'd have music on. And then she would just stop and like look you dead in the eye and say, say, wow. And she demanded applause. She was she literally would just say, Lala, because that's what they call me. She's like, Lala, say, wow. And I'd be like, wow. And I would clap for her. And I realized like we all realized as a family, all of us were like, this is first of all, incredible that she does this. Like what kind of confidence does this little two and a half year old, three year old have? And so it's just become a catchphrase in our lives now where when something amazing happens, we just look at each other and we're like, say, wow. (laughs) And so I like, we made sweatshirts with it on, like say, wow, across it. And it's like become this mantra of like confidence. And I feel like if you can find that mantra, like just to bring it full circle, like I love the idea of claiming your confidence and being like, even if you're, I'm not necessarily by nature a really confident person, but I can channel my inner three-year-old Rosie and and quietly in my brain tell that audience, like, say wow at the end. I want this applause. Like I earned it. Lele, I love that tip. You're looking out at the audience and they're low energy and it's like, well, they're not, they're not paying attention. I always call that the feel bad for me. right. Feel bad for me. They're not paying attention. Instead Mm -hmm. of going into feel bad for me, we go into say, wow, this stuff's good. (laughs) I love it. We should trademark it for her. That is good. College fund set up. (laughs) That is good. Lele, you're a gem. How can we uh, how can we find out more about you and about your conference? You can find out about the conference at creativeeducatorconference.com or just at my website, leleamadi.com. You can surf my website 
you can <laughs> look through it. And I'm also over on Instagram at Lele underscore Amadi. You can surf my Instagram. And Lele has two E's. So L-A-Y-L-E-E. Yes. Yeah. The website is three E's in a row. I'm real sorry about it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Pet peeve of my own about my own name. There are some letters that look cool three in a row. Uh, I've got a friend whose last name is Resnick, but he's Rez with three Z's. That's awesome. That's cool. E? E's? Yeah. Not so much. Not as cool. <laughs> Lele. Lele Mari. Lele Mari.com. Uh, Lele, you're a gem. Anything else we should know? No, I'm so, I had so much fun. Thanks for having me on. Oh my gosh. It was a long time coming. You're great. Hey, everyone, this has been the Best Speech Podcast. I am your host, Mike Pacquion. It has been lightly edited and produced by Alicia Otieno. And the music you're hearing is by Jonah Ramey. Until next time, do good things out there.